said to Arlene a little bit ago, if all of you would have been in the first hour this morning in this room, we could have just sang a couple extra songs and gone home. (laughs) Because uh, what he said in a much more elegant way than I will is basically the same theme that we're going to look at this morning. It's a privilege for me to be able to stand here this morning. Uh, After I preached last time, a gentleman came up to me and says, we're not having you back again. Uh, you, you stepped all over our toes. And, uh, and then I was encouraged because he, I'm not going to tell you who it was, but he was sitting on the front row here, and I thought, well, maybe he got convicted because last time he was way back there. <laughs> but then he went out to Children's Church. So uh, <sighs> Actually, that was a, that's a compliment, and I took it. I knew he was kidding, but it's a compliment because uh, a lot of times, you know, you go out the back door and the pastor's standing, oh, that was a great sermon, pastor, and sometimes it just tells you you didn't get your point across. And uh, there are passages of God's word that do step on our toes once in a while, although I never come in the pulpit intent on blasting people out of their seats. I grew up in this church. I was baptized here, was uh, married here ordained here, uh, commissioned to go to Germany from this church. And except for a missionary presentation back in 76, I had never preached here. Except maybe, I'm trying to think back, I may have preached during the ordination service. Uh, So it was a privilege to preach here a few weeks back and then uh, now again this morning. Uh, I've never gotten over the tremendous responsibility and accountability it is to stand before a group like this and open God's word. It's not who is in front of me. Uh, We started our ministry in San Bernardino, California, just down the hill from Campus Crusade, so uh, it was not uncommon for Bill Bright to be sitting there uh, and others that had gone through Campus Crusade. It's not how many are there. I think I'm just, I feel the responsibility just as deeply if it's only five or 500. But it has to do with the message we have. Paul describes it this way. We have this treasure in jars of clay to show the surpassing power that belongs to God and not us. In the context of 2 Corinthians 4, 7, the previous verses, he said, this treasure is the light of the knowledge of God in Christ Jesus. A major theme in that video that we saw the first hour. You really don't know anything unless you know the one who knows everything. Think about that. I would encourage those of you who weren't there in the first hour to... uh, Uh, bug your pastor to show that video again sometime to the whole church. It's my responsibility, the task of this jar of clay, to declare the truth of God in Christ Jesus to you this morning. We're going to look this morning at what Chuck Swindoll calls one of the New Testament postcards. In comparison to the other books of the Bible... Uh, particularly the other letters in the New Testament, this is the shortest. Seems to be just a postcard, but it's not short on truth. And uh, we want to take a look at that this morning. And I'd like you to turn there because I would want, I'm going to read the whole book before I get started. Second John. I don't need to tell you which chapter. Second John. The Elder... To the elect lady and her children, whom I love in truth, and not only I, but also all those who have known the truth, because of the truth which abides in us and will be with us forever. Grace, mercy, and peace will be with you from God the Father and from the Lord Jesus Christ, the Son of the Father, in truth and love. I rejoice greatly that I have found some of your children walking in truth as we received commandment from the Father. 
And now I plead with you, lady, not as though I wrote a new commandment to you, but that which we have had from the beginning, that we love one another. This is love, that we walk according to his commandments. This is the commandment, that as you have heard from the beginning, that as you have heard from the beginning, you should walk in it. For many deceivers have gone out into the world who do not confess Jesus Christ as coming in the flesh. This is a deceiver and an antichrist. Look to yourselves that we do not, that we do not lose those things we worked for, but that we may receive a full reward. Whoever transgresses and does not abide in the doctrine of Christ does not have God. He who abides in the doctrine of Christ has both the Father and the Son. If anyone comes to you and does not bring this doctrine, do not receive him into your house, nor greet him, for he who greets him shares in his evil deeds. Having many things to write to you, I did not wish to do so with paper and ink, but I hope to come to you and speak face to face that your joy may be full. The children of your elect sister greet you. Amen. Heavenly Fathers, we open the word. We thank you that this word comes from the one who knows everything. And we are dependent upon your Holy Spirit to bring to our mind the things that we need to see this morning out of this text. Help us to be open to hear what you have to say and ready to apply what needs to be applied. And let not the one that is speaking distract from what you want to say to us this morning. And I'll thank you for that in Christ's name. Amen. John has packed so much into this little book, and we will not be able to cover everything, but I want to take a particular thread through the book. The sermon is titled True Love, and it's what is necessary for true love, and that's where we're going to focus this morning. I can remember, as we lived in Germany, when it cost $1.50 to send a letter to the States, um, I would take a postcard and in my smallest handwritten font get a whole letter on a postcard because it was only 90 cents. And John has kind of done that here. He has packed a lot into this little book. We're not going to debate who wrote the book. Um, we're not going to debate. Some would, would suggest this may not even be Second John. Maybe it's First John, and maybe First John is really Second John. And that's all the things he wanted to tell them face to face. But we're not going to go there. I'm not going to debate who he wrote to. Uh, Several Bible, Bible commentators contend that the elect lady is actually the universal church. Others would say it's a specific local church that met in an individual's home. Uh, One pointed out that the Greek word, and I looked it up again this morning just to make sure I would be telling you the right thing. The Greek word is curia, which is the feminine of curios, which is the word for Lord. So he's writing to Mrs. Lord. So that must be the bride of Christ, the church, Mrs. Lord. That was his logic in this whole thing. I'm not going to go there. I'm not going to hang my physical or eternal life on any of that stuff. Um, I just want to look and see what is it that John says in this text, whether it's directly directed to a church or a family, the truths apply to, to all of us. In, John, in what we call 1 John, John's emphasis there in my mind is assurance of salvation. You remember going through those evangelism classes and they teach you the Romans Road or the Four Spiritual Laws or whatever plan it was, but at the end it always ends up with 1 John 5.13. You've got to get there. These things are written that you might know that you have eternal life, and that's how we leave it. See, now you know, because it says you can know. And we never go back into the book to see what did he write so that we know. And what he wrote was, and if you go through that book, and I would challenge you to do it, would be good for you. It's a good self-test. If 
5.13 says, I wrote this that you might know. Now go back and see what he wrote. And there's a whole list of things that ought to be evident in your life, that ought to be seen, that you ought to recognize that shows that you are truly born of God. Assurance in our walk with Christ and our assurance of our salvation is very important. If the devil can get us to doubt whether we're even saved, he's got us where he wants us. So John wrote that book for that. Others would argue his emphasis is love, and certainly John writes a lot of, about love in that book. Fifty times in 104 verses, the word love is used. Some of you remember the song of the 60s by uh, um, Hal David. A lot of you don't remember that, I know, but uh, some of you do. What the world needs now is love, sweet love. It's the only thing there's just too little of. What the world needs now is love, sweet love. No, not just for some, but for everyone. John, the love John is speaking of is not that love. Not a superficial, emotional, cheap, fickle, sensual love. Is the sacrificial giving of oneself for the next person, for that other person. Uh, as demonstrated by God in the person of the Lord Jesus Christ. It is love that's firmly rooted in truth. And we see that in Second John. That is John's burden as he writes to the elect lady in John 2. In verses 5 and 6 he says, And now I plead with you, lady, not as though I write a new commandment or wrote a new commandment to you, but... That which we have had from the beginning, that we love one another. This is love, that we walk according to his commandments. His commandments, that body of truth that we have, one of the words that the psalmist in Psalm 119 uses to describe the word of God, that we walk according to the word of God, that we walk according to truth. True love is tied in with truth. Love and truth go together. I want to pause and go back to the recipient of the letter. I've already alluded to the weighty responsibility of opening God's word before a group of people. If an earthly judge can ask us to swear on a Bible to say the whole truth and nothing but the truth will help you, God, how can I do less? I cannot just declare those parts of the scriptures that make you feel good, make me feel good, my favorite portions. I need to declare it all. That's my responsibility. I would do a disservice to Christ, a disservice to myself, a disservice to you to skip over what might be uncomfortable or might be different than you might understand. Um... I heard not too far in the past, and I've heard it a few times recently, just preach what has to do with salvation. That's the important thing. Just what has to do with getting somebody saved. Leave the rest out, because it could cause dissension. It can cause controversy. Well, if I did that, I'd have to eliminate 95% of the epistles. Because they have to do with how we walk once we've been saved. So I just want to call your attention to this, that this letter begins with addressing an elect lady and ends by referring to an elect sister. I found it interesting in the video this morning, at the end we had some questions and uh, there were que- opportunity for questions or comments. And it basically had to do with um, where do I go after, after I have talked to this atheist about how empty his whole argument is, where do I go from there? And how do I do that? And the speaker pointed out the fact that and you cannot convince with evidence anybody of the gospel. 
and that might shock you. It is God that must first bring a change in an individual's heart for them to understand the gospel. Otherwise, they are blind, and as it pointed out several times in that video, they don't want to know it. They don't want to know there's a God. And Paul says in the first part of Romans, they know there's a God, but they suppress that because if they admit there's a God, they have to submit to this God, and they don't want to do that. They would rather go live in unrighteousness. And so John addresses this lady, uh, this, this book, this, this short letter to an elect lady, somebody that God has chosen to salvation and as someone that he loves in the truth. One commentator about that subject wrote, while the truth of election may offend some Christians with a weak view of God's sovereignty, it never offends the New Testament writers. It never offends the Holy Spirit who inspired them to write it. Here's some quotes. Just as he chose us in him, he predestinated us to adoption as sons through Jesus Christ to himself according to the kind intention of his will. The uh, fellow this morning on that video said, you, no one will ever choose God. They're all running from God. They will not choose God. It's not according to your will that you came to know Christ as Savior. It was according to his will. Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who are chosen, who are elect, First Peter 1, that other one was Ephesians 1, 4, and 5. Jude, a bondservant of Jesus Christ to those who are called. The same commentator said, Why is it that we have undermined that great doctrine so long and with such diligence that we're afraid to use the word? John refers to the truth that God has chosen these ladies for salvation, and he neither hesitates to write it nor makes an explanation confident that his readers will understand what he was saying, and that these ladies were chosen by the sovereign God. I think everyone in Whatcom County and around the world by now, by way of Facebook, think that I fellowship in a church, in a Calvinistic, in a Calvinist church. No, no, no. I want to emphasize that. Good Shepherd Community Church is not a Calvinist church. Peter, Paul, James, Jude, John, all taught that God is sovereign in salvation long before Calvin came on the scene. And because Calvin saw some of the same things that we happen to teach and preach at our church, doesn't make us a Calvinist church. I'd like to say that we are a church that follows Christ because Christ also taught that. And if you're struggling with that whole concept, I beg you, read John chapter 6. John chapter 6, verses 35 to 48 and verse 65. This isn't Calvin's truth, it's Christ's truth. So let's go on to the text. I want to look at it in three. these three points. Know the truth, walk in the truth, and stand for the truth. Know the truth. Many people stare the truth right in the face and do not recognize it. And we understand why. Paul says they are blinded to the spiritual spiritual things. And it's only as God opens up their heart will they understand it. Pilate, staring Jesus Christ right in the face, hearing him say, I have come to bear witness of the truth. Everyone who is of the truth listens to my voice, asks the question, what is truth? You don't have to ask the question anymore today because we now know there is no truth, right? Everything's relative. And what you believe is okay as long as you tolerate my beliefs. Now, don't just take that clip out of the tape if somebody's taping this and say, that's what I said. But that's what we are told today. What is truth? There was a uh, survey done by that Barna research group 
Is there absolute truth? 66% of adults respond that they believe that there is no such thing as absolute truth. 72% of those aged 18 to 25 express that same belief. Now, this was a few years back. And it, believe me, it didn't get better between then and now. People were asked if there was such a thing as absolute truth, truth that is true across all times and cultures for all people. Here's some of the response. Truth is whatever you believe. There is no absolute truth. If there were such a thing as absolute truth, how would we know that it was true? Good question. People who believe in absolute truth are dangerous. So you guys are all dangerous. The lone exception was an evangelical Christian who said absolute truth was in Jesus Christ. We drift on a tide of uncertainty into a sea of unknowing. We cannot know the truth. So we just have to do the best we can do. Oddly enough, those who claim that there is no such thing as absolute truth make scores of decisions every day on the basis that they believe some things are true and some things are false. And yet they will say there is no absolute truth. I thought this was interesting. A a reader wrote to uh, Abby. You remember the dear Abby? I don't know if it's still going today or not, but uh, wrote this. Your answer to the woman who complained that her relatives were always arguing, arguing about Religion was ridiculous. You advised her to simply declare the subject off limits. Are you suggesting that people talk only about trivial, meaningless subjects so as to avoid a potential controversy? That's what I heard some believers say we ought to do not too long ago. It is arrogant to tell people there are subjects... They may not mention in your presence. You should have suggested she learn enough about her relative's cult to show them the errors contained in its teaching. I thought that was a pretty good response. And this is what Abby wrote back. In my view, the height of arrogance is to attempt to show people the errors of the religion of their choice. Wow. There is no absolute truth. So what right do you have to say that you know the truth and you know the one who is truth? A poet, Steve Turner, wrote this. I believe that each man... This was sarcasm. I believe that each man must find the truth that is right for him. Reality will adapt accordingly. The universe will readjust. History will alter. I believe that there's no absolute truth except the truth that there's no absolute truth. Wow. I was sitting at the lunch table. I, I work as a paraeducator at Vista Middle School, and I was sitting at the lunch, and we have this thing on uh, Wednesdays and Fridays. They shorten all the periods, so at the end of the day, there's another 40 minutes, and they call it... Um, I don't remember what they call it. (laughs) Advisory. Advisory. And I have volunteered for it because the idea at the beginning was they were supposed to teach um, ethical moral principles. Things like trust, accountability, responsibility, respect. Those guys, I said, boy, I'd be happy to teach that. They were afraid of that. So they... (laughs) The teachers all have to do it. And, they, and the whole thing is, is it's been a bust. Uh, they get the, the subject like the day before. And uh, I don't know what we're going to do this next year. But anyway, we're sitting at the, the lunch table. And I said, you know, you guys in that last uh, 40 minutes, you need to spend some time talking, particularly with the girls, but all of the kids, about how they dress. These girls that have it so low here or so high here, and what that's doing and what that's going to result in. and, and uh, Oh, we can't teach morality in school. I said, what? 
I said, you can bet that I'm here not so much about science and math, but I want to teach about life principles to these kids. They can be the best mathematician, the best science, scientists in the world, but if they don't know something about morality and, and, and ethical behavior, they're going to not survive in this society. Well, we can't teach morality in school. You know why we can't teach morality in school? Because there are no absolute truths. What you think is moral, I may think is immoral. So I better not say that because you're going to be offended. And what right do I have to say? There, there's no standard. And that's the world we live in. Nothing threatens the family, the church, or for that matter, society in general more than the false doctrine, than false doctrine distorted or neglected truth. And John knew that. He was concerned about this lady. The most important truth is the truth of God, the truth about God and the truth of God in his word. And we've, the, our society has gotten so far away from this book, not believing that this is God's truth, not believing that it is truth. Well, good, if it speaks to you, fine. In Germany, uh, do you believe this is the word of God? Well, it contains the word of God, and it's, if it speaks to you, it becomes the word of God. No, this is the word of God. Know the truth. Know the truth. He speaks about truth in this book. The one whom I love in the truth. From the statement, we don't know how well he knew this individual or this church, if it is indeed a church. But he acknowledges the bond that a, that a common love for the truth establishes. You've experienced that. You just meet somebody and just in a brief conversation, you understand they love the Lord. They love his word. They love the truth. And you just feel a closeness to them. Some people think doctrine divides and love unites. No. We are united together around truth. And it's only as we're united in truth that we can love the right way. Sound doctrine, truth, is the test of fellowship. It's around truth that we're united. Truth is foundational. God does not change. His truth does not change. That's the, the stable thing that we have. And that's what ought to unite us. God is unchanging. His truth is unchanging. Jesus said, I am the truth. The Bible speaks of the spirit of truth. The word of God is truth. I'm reading through the Psalms and I, um, in Psalm 19, verse 9. The judgments of the Lord are true. The judgments of the Lord. The word judgments was another word for what the, he had as God's word in that day. The judgments of the Lord are true and righteous altogether. More to be desired than gold, yea, than much fine gold. How precious the truth that we have. And we need to know the truth. Paul in verse 3, or John in verse 3 says this, grace, mercy, and peace. And we're used to that. Quite often those words come together as Paul starts a letter or some of the other apostles and we think it's just kind of an introduction or it's a prayer for these people. Here it's a promise. It will. Grace, mercy, and peace will be with you from God the Father and from the Lord Jesus Christ, the Son of the Father, in truth and love. When we are walking in truth and love, those things will be in our lives. And I do not believe the order of truth and love is random. 
Without truth, there can be no true love. Paul writes in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 15, and we heard it again this morning, speaking the truth in love. Without truth, there can be no true love. On the other hand, we are to separate from those who deny the truth. I'm going to come back to that in a later point in the message this morning. But for a moment, glance at TBN, and only for a moment, not too long. And you will see what's being given out under the guise of truth. Browse in your Christian bookstore, but not too long. And you'll see what is accepted as truth today. I'm reading a book. Um, Some years ago, John MacArthur wrote a book on the glory of heaven. And it's come out new just this last year. Uh, And he refers to some of these, um, I think as as he calls it, heaven tourism. These folks that have visited and come back. It's unbiblical. It is totally unbiblical. I'm sorry if it's a nice story for you, but it is unbiblical. And as I'm reading the book, it dawned on me my first clue about it being unbiblical is the one that wrote The Boy Who Came Back from Heaven, and his son supposedly went to heaven and came back. His name is Kevin Malarkey. Um, It's unbiblical, but it is the hot thing in evangelical circles today. Everybody's excited about it. Any deviation from the truth is an untruth. What do you believe? What do you really believe? What are those things where you have strong convictions on that it can't be changed? You know it's truth. Are there any? We have a responsibility to know the truth. And so often in the New Testament, the prayer is, my favorite verses um, in Philippians chapter 1, verses 9 through 11, where he want, his prayer for the Philippian believers is that they grow in knowledge, in the knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. Paul talks about the church in Ephesians growing in knowledge that we might come up to a mature man in Christ. Know the truth. What are the truths that define us and about which we make no compromise? What truths separate us from those who would not believe and teach these truths? This point, I want to make it clear. I'm not saying, as one of the ladies in our church in Germany tried to convince us, that we should have no contact with unbelievers. That's not what I'm saying. Jesus came to seek and to save those who are lost. We're not saying that you should not have association or contact or some level of friendship with unbelievers. We're talking about fellowship in the ministry of the gospel, encouraging and participating with those who hold a different gospel Uh, Galatians chapter 1, verses 6 and 7, which is no gospel. And we'll come to that as as we come a little farther in this text. The biblical mandate is to stand for the truth, to oppose untruth. To do that, it's vitally important that we know what the truth is so that we be not tossed to and fro by every wind of doctrine, by every trickery of men, in the cunning craftiness of deceitful plotting, but speaking the truth In love, we grow up to a mature man in Christ, to a perfect man, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. May God help us to be pursuers of the truth. So much to say on that, but we need to move on. To walk in the truth.
I rejoice greatly that I have found some of your children walking in the truth. Hunger, a hunger and a pursuit of truth is to characterize us as believers. What can bring a parent more joy? What can bring a pastor more joy, a church planner more joy, than seeing his children walking in truth? Our people in Germany had been much on our hearts and minds, uh, and so we, uh, I, I made a call around Thanksgiving time. Every year at Thanksgiving, Arlene and I would cook a dinner for 60 people. Four turkeys in these, we had these little ovens, so we had to farm a couple of them out. And, uh, but four turkeys and all the mashed potatoes and, and uh, beans topped with those onions, you know how they do that, and uh, um, a fruit salad and pumpkin pie. The first year, what is that? Squash pie? We, we don't eat squash pie. Oh, come on, just try a little bit. You can at least eat the whipped cream off the top. Uh, and after a while, they're looking for it. So we did this every Thanksgiving, which is not, they don't celebrate Thanksgiving. They didn't have any pilgrims coming to, coming to England. So they have uh, what they call Erntedankfest, uh, the harvest thank, thank time, the beginning of October. So we would do Thanksgiving, and it was an opportunity for our people, we always had like maybe 20 unsaved people come into this thing. They would invite their friends, unsaved friends. And then I would speak a little bit about Thanksgiving and getting the gospel message. So here's Thanksgiving coming last, this last year, and we're not with our, our people. So I give them a call, and I, I call this one family, and the, the child answers, the uh, teenager answers the phone and says, Oh, mom and dad aren't home. They're at the Bible study tonight at so-and-so's house. I said, oh, I'll give them a call over there. Oh, most of them won't uh, recognize you. They're all new since you've left, which is super, you know. I mean, we had a, a family visit us. Um, one of the elders came, he and his wife came to visit us this last March, and they brought us a book with all the people in the church. And wow, What a joy that is to see them walking in the truth. Continuing to live for the Lord. I called them up at this other place. They were so excited. You could hear them in the background. And one of them comes on. Oh, we just sang your song. And then we prayed for you. I don't even know what my song is. I didn't even ask them what my song is. Must have been something that I sang in a service. Um, But what a joy that is. To to see your children walk in in the truth. Truth is relational. It, it has to have an effect on my life. It ought to affect our daily walk. The light turned yellow just in front of him. He did the right thing, stopping at the crosswalk, even though he could have beaten the red light by accelerating through the intersection. The tailgating woman was furious and honked her horn, screaming in frustration. I don't, it could have been a man and went the other way around, but... Anyway, um, screaming in frustration as she missed her chance to get through the intersection, dropping her cell phone and makeup. As she was still in the mid-rant, she heard a tap on her window and looked up into the face of a very serious police officer. The officer ordered her to exit her car with her hands up. He took her to the police station where she was searched, fingerprinted, photographed, and placed in a holding cell. After a couple of hours, a policeman approached the cell and opened the door. She was escorted back to the booking desk where the arresting officer was waiting with her personal effects. He said, I'm very sorry for this mistake. You see, I pulled up behind your car while you were blowing your horn, flipping off the guy in, the front, in front of you and cussing a blue streak at him. I noticed the what would Jesus do bumper sticker the Choose Life license plate holder, and the Follow Me to Sunday School bumper sticker, and the chrome-plated Christian fish emblem on the trunk, so, I natu- so naturally I assumed the car was stolen. 
<laughs> you laugh, but I know that's why you don't have any bumper stickers on. True believers walk in truth. Our belief ought to determine our behavior. Is that true of you? Oh, we're all smiling today. We're nice. We hug each other. What's it going to be like tomorrow now? Walk in truth. This is love that we walk according to to his commandments. Walk in truth. Christian love is not an emotion we work up. It's simple obedience to the word of God. Where there's a love for God's word, where there's a love for Christ, there will be a love for God's people and there will be a life that demonstrates the love of Christ. Loving the truth and loving the brethren cannot be separated. We're to be in motion. We're to be walking. In science, we learn that an object is motionless when the opposing forces are balanced. So if something's pushing this way and this way at an equal strength, the thing in the middle is not going anywhere. Apply that to your life. Are you motionless? as a Christian, because the opposing forces are pushing just as strong as the, as God's force, the force of truth in your life. If you're a Christian, you live the truth, you're controlled by the truth, the truth defines you. Is that true of you and of me? I'd like to say yes. Ever mindful of 1 Corinthians 10, 12, let him who thinks he stands take heed lest he falls. All around us, the church under the guise of becoming relevant has become irrelevant. Any of you heard of Os Guinness? If you want to stretch your mind, pick up a book by this guy, Os Guinness. Uh, he writes in his book, Prophetic Untimeliness, this. The church has decided to redefine itself in such clearly cultural terms to appeal to the culture that it cannot confront the culture. You understand what he's saying? We think we have to come, become like the world in order to reach the world. And we find out it makes us powerless to do anything. Much of the so-called evangelical church is disconnecting itself from essentially what is Christian truth and theology. As the world moves in the wrong direction, instead of the contrast between the church as the custodian of truth and the world trapped in deception and untruth growing and becoming more vivid, much of the truth is moving in the same direction. And we look at the world and say, well, we're still pretty good. Look, there's a gap. But this is where we should have been, way over here. The church is moving right along with the world. Oh, we're still maybe a step or two behind of all the nonsense that's going on there. But we're not where we need to be. In an effort to be culturally... um, What do I want to say? Relevant, we have become basically irrelevant in a culture that so much needs the truth. We're called to walk in the truth and be different to make a difference. Finally, to stand for the truth. We are to know the truth, we are to walk in the truth, and we are to stand for the truth. John warns this lady or this church, whichever it is, in verse 7. For many deceivers have gone out into the world who do not confess Jesus Christ as becoming as coming in the flesh. Boy, you heard one this morning on that video. What that pastor and his atheist friend that went and visited all these churches, his answers showed the guy knows nothing about the truth of God's word. 
there are guys in the cloak of a pastor who have completely abandoned the truth. This is a deceiver and an antichrist. Look to yourselves. Check yourselves. Examine yourselves. Watch out that we do not lose those things we worked for, but that we may receive the full reward. Don't lose what you have been taught to be the truth of God's word. The test of a true godly teacher is what he believes and teaches about Jesus Christ. And, God, and John is concerned that this lady is going to get messed up with these deceivers and lose what had been built in her life up to that point with regard to the truth of God. Satan is a destroyer and he uses false teaching, deception to rob God's children of the blessings they have in Christ. In verse 9 he says, whoever transgresses and does not abide in the doctrine of Christ does not have God. That seems awfully harsh. But that's the test. It just emphasizes how vitally important the truth is and that it's not only the test of fellowship, but of salvation itself. John, in 1 John 2.19, says, if they go out from us, if they go away from this truth of Jesus Christ, that just shows they never were of us. There are a lot of people in good churches today that were taught to say this, to look this way, to do this, And they can do all of that stuff. But do not know the Savior. Know the truth. Walk in the truth. Stand for the truth. In verse 10 he says, If anyone comes to you and does not bring this doctrine, do not receive him into your house or greet him. For he who greets him Shares in his evil deeds. Whoa. What does that mean? I mean, my uncle doesn't believe. He can't come to my house to eat dinner. I think this is in the context of what was taught and commanded in that day regarding hospitality. It was not safe for Christians, particularly these guys that went around and ministered to stay in the inn. That was a lousy place to stay. Dangerous. And so the believers were encouraged to invite these guys in and and show them hospitality. And John is saying, be sure that whoever you invite in your home, these guys that are going around proclaiming what they say is the truth, that it is the truth, lest you partake in their or participate in their evil deeds as teaching falsehood. Be careful. Could be that this lady with a big heart for God was not as discerning in her hospitality as she should have been. John is not saying we should refuse hospitality to the unsaved we're seeking to reach. That's a tremendous tool. Get them in your home and share Christ. This lady that was attending our church in Germany, she shut off all contact with unbelievers. What am I doing here then if I'm not to share the gospel with unbelievers? So that's not what's being said here, but I think it's these guys that were claiming to be prophets or teachers or apostles, but were not teaching the truth. There are some people that want to come and talk to me about what they say is the truth, and I let them stand on my porch. Um, and they don't stand there very long. In fact, they quit coming. Um, which, I mean, I would like to have the opportunity to share with them the truth, but as soon as you get away from their literature and just want to say, who is Jesus Christ, and this is what the Bible says about Jesus Christ, they lose interest real quickly. Just one more note on this. Uh, the word in verse 9 where it says, uh, transgresseth. That's 
a little rough. That's what it says in the King James Version. Some of the others may have it a little more clearly where it says they, they go ahead or they go too far. And I think it's referring to these false teachers who say, uh, you know, the Bible, it's kind of outdated. It's out of touch with our society. It's out of touch with the 21st century. It needs to be updated a bit. It needs to be made relevant. Don't take it so literal. You know, if you say that, and if you tell people that it says this, you're going to lose them. So just kind of ignore things like hell and sin and some of those things that are going to turn them off. Judgment and repentance and surrender. And so they, they formulate a new gospel, which is no gospel. Don't associate with them. Stand for the truth. Well, I completely understand John's expression of frustration that he couldn't tell them all he wanted to tell them because I can't either and I'm going to quit and you're ready to have me quit. Um, I just want to reemphasize that Christianity is about the truth. We are to know the truth, to continually be growing in the truth. We are to walk in the truth. The truth ought to determine our behavior, our walk, how we live every day. And we need to stand for the truth. And as was said this morning, in fact, the gentleman that came up here after, he says, I think it was him. No, maybe it was the guy on the tape. He said, we're going to face more and more uh, persecution. Are you ready to stand or are you going to fold? Do you know the truth? Are you walking in the truth? Can you stand for the truth? It's about truth. Jesus Christ said, I am the way, the truth, the life. No man comes to the Father but by me. This is God's truth and it's eternal truth. We possess the truth by receiving Christ, Jesus Christ as Lord of our lives. We must grow in our knowledge of the truth and walk in the truth and stand for the truth by obedience to God's commandments. Only then can we love each other the way we ought to love. We can love each other in truth while guarding against any participation in the deception and practices and teachings of those who distort the truth. When truth abides in you, John says, grace, mercy, and peace will be with you from God the Father and from the Lord Jesus Christ, the Son of the Father, in truth and love. Thank you, Heavenly Father, for your word. Thank you, I thank you that you can take the word as feebly presented by this clay jar and touch hearts and lives. And I pray that you would do that, that you would use your word today to give something that can be taken away from this place to change a life, to conform a life more to the image of your son that would help us to share the truth with a world out there that denies that truth even exists. Help them to see it as we walk in the truth and stand for the truth. And I thank you in Christ's name. Amen.